0: This is Terrify Me, a podcast about scary things in fact, fiction, and folklore. I'm your host, Anthony Frost. This week, I'm joined by a whole bunch of people. Uh, we've got Antonio Ward, who is uh, the editor-in-chief of Ghost Orchid Press. Uh, With her is uh, Evelyn Freeling, who's editing the new anthology, uh, the forthcoming anthology, uh, Les Petits Morts, which I probably mispronounced because I can't speak French for the life of me. Uh, But it's the idea of the anthology is going to be sort of like erotic horror takes on folklore. Um, So it's it's a really cool idea. I think the Kickstarter uh, went live yesterday. So if you're listening to this on Dave release, the Kickstarter is now live. So if you want to help fund a project and, you know, essentially pre-order the book that way, then uh, there will be a link in the bio for that. Um, As well as those two, we've got uh, two of the invited authors for the anthology. We've got uh, Sonora Taylor and on her second appearance is Haley Piper. And yeah, it's it's a fun chat. We go over some fun stuff about, you know, eroticism and horror and the sort of the the meeting of the two i i had a good time and hopefully you will too Uh, so just have a little ad break and then we'll get right into it
1: welcome dear visitor to my museum of medieval oddities have you heard of howls from the dark ages perhaps you'd be interested in a little tour through these echoing halls Who me? Why, I am the curator, and I am most pleased to present you with 18 haunting exhibits.
2: Rita, beware, you're in for a medieval scare.
1: Howls from the Dark Ages, available now on Amazon and Audible.
0: Okay, Here with me I have a whole bunch of people. We have Antonia Ward, uh, Sonora Taylor, Evelyn Freeline and Haley Piper. So should we start with some introductions? Antonia Ward.
2: Hi there. Um, yeah, I'm Antonia. Um, i own Ghost Orchid Press. Um, I'm also a writer myself. And uh, yeah, we're here to chat about, well, mostly we wanted to talk about our um, anthology that we're working on. Called Le, Le Petit Mort, um, which is sort of erotic horror, fairy tales, mythology, and folklore. Yeah, that's it really. <laughs>
0: okay, thank you very much. And Evelyn, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Yeah, I'm an author of speculative fiction. I have a few short stories published with Go- Ghost Orchid Press and Dark Dispatch. Um, my most recent story was in the Identity. The Dead Inside, which was edited by Laurel Hightower. And um, I'm also an associate editor now for Haven Spec Magazine and editing the Les Petit Moores anthology for Ghost Soap Press.
0: Fantastic. Um, Congratulations on the Haven Spec associate editor thing. And yeah, Laurel Laurel Hightower does great work, yeah.
3: Yes, she does. Yes. That's really cool. I was I was really humbled for her to pick my story out of the slush. That was a great moment for me.
0: Yeah, I bet. Uh, Sonora?
3: Uh, yes, uh, my name is Sonora Taylor. I've
1: published seven books, and I've also written several short stories, which have appeared in various anthologies uh, from Burial Day Press, Cemetery Gates Media, Camden Park Press, Sirens Call Publications, and Ghost Orchid Press. I previously had a story in uh, the in Chlorophobia, an um, the, uh, the eco-horror anthology, and I'm really excited to be a part of uh, Le Petit Morte
0: fantastic uh it's nice to meet you i've heard a lot of great things about you in particular actually and <laughs> Haley, welcome back welcome back hi. to the podcast uh,
4: uh hi i'm Haley piper um the author of queen of teeth the Worminous kings uh unfortunate elements of my anatomy uh recently your mind is a terrible thing and i've had stories in uh pseudopod vestarian um a bunch of other places and uh yeah i i Love horror and romance and erotic horror, so I'm really excited to be part of this anthology.
0: Yeah, you've got stories everywhere, um, and yeah, this is a really cool project because, like, for me personally, I, I I like romance and erotica and horror, and I love you know folk tales and folklore a lot. Like, a lot of the episodes I do on this podcast center around folklore, and you know, like, this just brings everything together for me. This, uh, this anthology, so I'm really excited about it. So, um, you know, just having a little roundtable discussion about erotic horror seems like a great idea um I think Evelyn was the one that suggested it to me so so we'll have you answering the questions first <laughs>
3: that,
0: that seems fair um so yeah. we'll start off with the first question um myths and fairy tales obviously can contain a hell of a lot of erotic elements and a lot of horror quite often at the same time like throughout pretty much any culture on earth it's there like those two things are often together so I was just wondering why do you think that is? What is, the com- what is it about that combination that captures the human Im- imagination?
3: Um, so when I think about fairy tales, for me, I think the function of fairy tales, especially since they stemmed from the oral tradition of storytelling, is that they're really ways for us to understand our world and our roles in it. Um, so often you see fairy tales sort of functioning as like ethical lessons, um, or moral lessons, or you know, warnings. Um, if you think about Little Red Riding Hood, uh, for example, I was just watching Neil Gaiman's uh, masterclass, and he talked about how Little Red Riding Hood is essentially a story warning children to not to trust strangers. That you know, the stranger in the woods who asks you where are you going might not have good intentions. Um, and I think. There's an intersection of this with erotic, erotica um, in that, you know, we used to view sexualities as dangerous. And um, so when you see that crossroads of horror and erotica and fairy tales, it's often what happens when sexualities are explored. Um, And you see a lot of this in beyond fairy tales in, you know, works like Dracula.
0: Good answer. Uh, Antonia what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah definitely I mean I, I agree with everything Evelyn said there it's um you know that 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 link between sort of morality and and um the tale is sort of a warning um not to sort of stray off the beaten path I sort of think of it as like showing children how to kind of stay on the straight and narrow and end up, you know, somewhere that's sort of conventional, I guess. Um, You know, don't stray into the woods, don't approach that tempting cottage. Um, You know, there are dangerous things out there and a lot of that is um, definitely got to do with sexuality and I think a lot of times to do with particularly girls. um, I'm thinking of, like, my favourite fairy tale personally is The Twelve Dancing Princesses. Um, And I always loved this idea that they go down into this magical world and they can dance the night away and just be themselves and do what they want. But ultimately, I'm less enthralled by the moral of the tale, which is kind of eventually bring them back to reality and marry them off and, you know, bring them back to this conventional life. Um, And I think that's what's really cool about the idea of um, doing fairy tales and folklore as this anthologies we can kind of subvert those kind of ideas and put a different spin on that sort of tale.
0: Fantastic yeah and Sonora do you oh, have
2: Yeah thoughts? I, yes I do I actually
1: have one stemming from what Evelyn discussed earlier about um, about Uh, stranger danger in these stories and um so this isn't it's going to take me a little bit to get to the point I have to remember a fact but i am getting somewhere with it um so someone was sharing on twitter a few months ago unfortunately i don't have the name right off the top of my head that the whole idea at least the modern thought of stranger danger came shortly after there were studies done in the suburbs so this was like the 60s and 70s and discovering that most harm again children was perpetrated by their parents or ministers or coaches or other adults that they knew um definitely in the family and this just shocked and disgusted people so much that they kind of invented the idea of stranger danger because they didn't want to confront that reality and so that also got me thinking about how there are a lot of fairy tales that kind of um discuss the horrors of the family granted sometimes it's with step parents but there are also siblings or parents who are holding the protagonist down and a lot of times they're saved granted by a royal stranger but they're taken by someone who's not in the family to pluck them out of the family so they can uh like live away from horror and also explore their sexuality safely, even if, it, if that isn't on screen, because there's also just so many fairy tales where like the stepmother, especially, but the threat, it, the the princess or future princess is usually seen as threatening when there's some allegorical way that they start their period. Uh, namely, I think with Rose Red, that was so the, or no, it was the little goose girl where she was given the handkerchief with dots of blood. And so that was basically, you know, she, for a lack of a better term, was on the rag. So, like, you know, she, I, so I think that's interesting to explore as well with the idea of like the family as threat, which is definitely something in horror and in romance as well as in fairy tales.
0: Yeah, that's a very insightful sort of read on it. um I, The stranger danger thing in particular is interesting to me because I, I didn't know there was a link between. Like the studies showing, yeah, that's an mm-hmm. in, in, very interesting. And yeah. it
1: makes sense. And I mean, that was also, and real quick, I'll, I'll let Haley speak next, but uh, yeah, that also relates to how women especially are warned about rape, because usually, um, you know, you're told don't go into dark alleys, don't walk alone, because it's always going to be a stranger when the majority of the time it happens with someone you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very true. And uh, Haley, do you, do you have any thoughts to add?
4: Yeah, um, I think um, we have to keep in mind some of the uh, way that we're reluctant to talk about uh, sex is, is not modern modern, but it is more recent than a lot of the origins of these stories and mythologies. Um, So there was more of a willingness to at least discuss them, even if there was still a very conservative, what we consider conservative value to them. But also that has layers itself because these stories changed greatly over time. Um, And some of them kind of, uh, you know, as was mentioned, the oral tradition changing that way based on like, how am I trying to say this? We're spoken of because they wanted to tell a story and then morals were laid on that. When is, whereas if you could ever dive into the origin of a story, it, it's more of a reflection of the times values as opposed to like done with intent. Um, and one example, uh, since Evelyn brought up Red Riding Hood, you know, we have Charles Perrault who in the 1600s, I believe, maybe it might be a little later, had taken what was a, a, a folk tale you know, that peasants would tell And applied a moral to it of, um, you know, Red Riding Hood got into bed with the wolf and that's the end of her. Um, If you go back, I think this version is 900 years old, um, but I'm not sure which part of Europe from. Um, She gets into bed naked with the wolf and then tells him that she has to go take a shit. So he lets her outside and that's how she runs home naked and gets away from the wolf um no what is the moral of that I have no idea but I think it's the difference definitely reflects the times and the people telling it
0: I really enjoy that version of the story that's spectacular <laughs> the Thinga wolf
4: wasn't into that or she would have been into a yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, beautiful <laughs> wonderful all right so the the second question I had was um basically I want to know what you're like Any ideas of, like, themes or ideas that you think erotic horror can express better than any other genre, like, that it's especially well-equipped to handle? So, uh, Evelyn, we'll start with you again.
3: Um, Yeah, I... So, for me, when I think about erotic horror, I one of my favourites is Dracula. I think it was really one of the first, or if not the first um maybe one of like the loudest, especially for its period, to really enter that genre of erotic horror. And you know what, what was what's interesting to me about it, especially for it being um a character who it's such an iconoclast character. Dracula is relevant to us even today. We're still telling Dracula's story and um, he's, you know, uh, represents women's sexual awakening and yet he's also the antagonist. Um, so at that time, you know, that, the story was still about the dangers of women's sexuality and what happens to women in the home and the family. If women's sexuality is, is unrepressed, um, or yeah, unrepressed, um, and so for me, those are that's one of the things that I'm really interested in, in erotic horror is how do we look at that today? Um, You know, is I, I am interested in stories um, that are, you know, about unabashed female sexuality or women's sexuality. And rather than looking at that as the horror and the threat to women, looking at, the things that threaten women and what um yeah so
0: interesting thank you yeah Um, and good like way of looking at dracula as well i'm a huge dracula and i was i was actually at whitby a few weeks ago like uh, i went to all the places that appear in the novel there took lots of photos like the unrepentant nerd that i am but um Yeah, I uh, just said I was jealous. <laughs> oh yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Wh- Whitby Abbey is beautiful as well. It's a lovely ruin, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely recommended if you're ever on this side of the water. Go check out Whitby. They do; they've got loads of Dracula-themed stuff in the town. Michael it's a yeah, it's a it's a big deal. It's fun. um Yeah. Uh, so, anyone else like to pitch in on that one? Um,
4: oh, yep. sorry. Go ahead. Really, go ahead. <laughs> um, well, just to drag my stuff into it, um, you know. Queer sex and queer sexuality has just been kind of not really allowed to uh to rear its head in a lot of fiction for a great deal of time, at least not blatantly. Um and horror and erotic horror has kind of been a way to sneak it in. Because if you could let it pretend or act as or you know, guised as the monster or the horrible thing, you could get away with a lot because anyone who is into it is like, oh, this is awesome. And anybody who's not, is like, oh, it's a horror thing. So I expect something to, you know, that I don't like. So it's just been a kind of easy way to be like, oh, you could get away with something as, as, you know, unthinkable as two people of the same gender having sex um, and not have it be censored or you know, or edit it out because like, well, it's, it's hard. If you, you know, if you need that excuse against an editor for some reason, thankfully things are getting better. Um, and this anthology is one example of that where we can just kind of dive in and not have to worry about that stuff so much.
1: Um, yeah, if you don't mind Antonia, I'd like to follow up on that because, um, uh, with Evelyn mentioning Dracula and Haley mentioning that, um, you know, queerness has often been able to kind of safely be in horror for the reasons she mentioned. Uh, I had once heard somewhere, I don't know how truthful it is though, that one of the many meanings in Dracula was that like uh, Bram Stoker actually based the main character partially on Oscar Wilde. And a lot of that was because he was struggling with his own latent uh, either homosexuality or bisexuality, his own same sex feelings for a man, because it was one of those where there was this all this tension between them when they'd be in the room together. But like it came across as like dislike. And it was because Stoker was actually attracted to him, but he was just trying to, you know, keep that hidden. So, you know, I just find that interesting, like in the bringing, bringing that up in this discussion into Dracula and safely exploring sexualities in that way um one other thing i think horror and uh erotic horror can be unique at exploring also is something i've talked about a lot but i'll bring it up here again is uh vulnerability i think that's a very unique thing to look at because horror adds that element of like being frightened i mean you know sometimes you have to that in straight up erotica or romance but for me personally i'd find that to be more of a turnoff than if it was a horror story like if the woman is very very afraid of this encounter with a man i'm like that's not romantic to me like he, you know especially if he, if there are way too many stories where the guy is like look here just get over it and then he plunges inside her and i'm like that's not consensual at that point anymore we need to stop perpetuating this as you know a good thing but um but at, in horror i mean you I wouldn't want that type of scene although that's for a whole other conversation but the fear can come from other things as opposed to the sex depending on the story and so but because sex is involved you know you're willingly placing yourself into vulnerability with another person and I think that's something that's fascinating to explore now that affects the horror either in this coupling or in the situation
3: surrounding them sorry I did not know that about him and, and Oscar Wilde that's a really fun fact. Yeah, he um he wrote the novel,
4: I believe, during the trial of Oscar Wilde. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, I mean, he I'm had sure. the notes beforehand, but like the actual writing was was
2: concurrent with that.
0: That's yeah, a fascinating bit of horror history there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Antonia. Um.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, Hailey and Sonora covered a lot of what I was going to say. there. I, I was yeah, I was going to jump in and say that it's a really good opportunity. Um, to explore queer perspectives as well as feminist perspectives and like to to turn around some of those more conventional um ideas I was talking about earlier like um I have my own erotic horror novella coming out later in the summer um and what I wanted to um explore in that was like basically the kind of Madonna whore kind of dichotomy and the idea of like you know, the sexual women being um, frightening and threatening and kind of like to put the power back in her hands um, and to try and make it more about, you know, sexuality being a good thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, we would like, we would really like to see in the um, anthology, we would like to see all kinds of perspectives from queer perspectives and also, uh, you know, we really don't want to just have western um folklore and fairy tales we really would like to see um stuff going from other cultures as well um like i'm not the best place to you know suggest ideas but i definitely hope that we will have some authors coming from elsewhere in the world as well yeah
0: yeah i would like to see that i would like to you know learn through like learn the folklore of other countries through that sort of lens would it'd be interesting really fun way to do it yeah, so the third question i had was um basically lust and fear are very primal human emotions and I, i'd argue they're probably the two most primal human emotions um with some exceptions but like so what challenges present themselves when you're trying to evoke or at least approach both within the same piece in the same story
3: yeah, I for me, my thoughts go to kind of what Sonora, they touch on what Sonora was saying about consent, because I think, especially for writers who have never tackled erotic horror before and have never tried to balance those two emotions, um, I my fear is that writers might go for the low-hanging fruit, for example, um, and try to make erotic elements, also the horror, horror elements. And that, that definitely works. You see that with Dracula, for example. But, um, you know, I think oftentimes what that culminates in is essentially rape fantasies. Um, and some writers and readers might be into that, but that is not what this anthology is. Um, and so I definitely encourage any writers listening to this to push themselves, challenge themselves to go beyond that um, and really bring, you know, uh, more thought than um, sexual assault is scary. We, I think, most people would agree with that and understand that without ne- needing to read a story about that.
0: Yeah, I think we have enough stories of that nature already. Uh, right. I don't, I don't think world. we're
4: breaking new ground by suggesting that. Yeah, uh.
1: exactly.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've seen several calls
1: that are like, "Please, no, stop." <laughs> yeah.
3: You see that in almost every submission guideline, um, even for non-erotic horror calls. And yet, you talk <laughs> yeah. to editors, and they see it in
4: every slush pile.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I think you know. I think there's a lot of scope beyond that. That's right for exploitation that's probably the wrong way to put it <laughs> um, but you know i i think erotic horror has a lot of scope that you know you don't have to go with the sort of non-consensual sort of step to to make it scary um, i think one of the things that you can do is um explore that idea of vulnerability um without you know without making it non-consensual you you choose to go into that situation and then at some point it gets turned around on you. Or the sexual content is maybe not, not a, s- a sideline to the story, but sort of is not the... Not,
0: uh, not the source of the horror.
2: Exactly, yeah. yeah.
4: I, I think it's entirely possible to have sex-positive horror. Um, you know, that's where I was going with when I wrote Queen of Teeth. Um, I've seen it in other... You know horror stories, um, and I also think that you know you can approach this stuff in so many ways. Like I, I think we mentioned this at the horror romance panel at StokerCon, but the idea of, and I know I know I came in at the like the last fifteen minutes of that, but um, but I think that um, some of it is about the the uh, dread or fear in fear of something that you desire, Um, like the hesitancy of a society that's like, well, this is what's normal. We have shown you this small little box of what's normal. And if you're stepping outside of that, then it's a problem. And so if you have a story where somebody, you know, is attracted to like a monster or creature of something, then you have a situation where it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to, you know, want this. Yeah. Um, and that speaks so many layers of what we deal with, with real life stuff with sexuality. But, um, yeah, I think that's something that is, uh, there's a, there's a unique crossroads for, for that in erotic horror. Um,
1: yeah, my, my thoughts on the intersection of the two, in addition to agreeing to everything um, Haley, Antonia, and Evelyn said, uh, it's mine, my contribution is a little more basic, but I think they are kind of a match well made because both are sources of adrenaline, now, granted, they invoke different feelings, you know, one is pleasure one is not necessarily pain but but you could also argue there's maybe a bit of pleasure when it's horror fiction which is what we're engaging with in these contexts because you know we're not actually running for our life we just have that sensation and you know there is the there are a lot of people who find that watching horror movies like just straight up horror movies it's a real turn on after they get scared and it's probably because of that feeling of like well i just survived something and now i'm like like revved up and you know there's also like if you're watching with a partner you might like clutch on to them and so there's touching and so I just think like that the different forms of adrenaline there definitely make them a good a good marriage
4: and we have in that just going off of what you're saying the safety of the fantasy of it too mm-hmm. like you can be scared in a safe place which is part of the appeal of horror overall
0: yeah 100 that's uh, pretty much why I'm into it, like, I think. Uh...
1: And some people, if I may, some people might also feel that way about romance and erotica, depending on how they're doing with dating or relationships or just where they're at. Like, Because it's a way to feel those feelings of pleasure, but without placing yourself in that vulnerability with some with somebody and you know it's just it and and i'm not saying people necessarily use that as a substitute it's just it's one way of experiencing that um so
0: yeah experiencing it and i think to some extent like desensitizing yourself to being overwhelmed by Mm -hmm. that kind of thing that when it happens in real life i think that's a big aspect to it i think that's largely why i draw from horror fiction personally anyway um Yeah, so the next question I had was, basically, it's about, um, well, a common critique of sexual content in media, you know, just as a whole, is that it results in sexual objectification, you know, primarily of women's bodies, but not just of women's bodies. Um, So, in your opinion, is that something that erotic horror is well equipped to subvert?
4: I
1: think it is, if it's in the correct hands. I was going to say, it's upon the
4: execution yeah yeah
1: um yeah no because that's definitely something i have a lot of thoughts on especially when it's non-erotic horror but one of the things that always kind of bothers me especially as a as a, a woman reading these books is when it is being presented as horrific when a woman is being harmed in some way not even just rape but like you know, her body is being harmed, but I can still tell that it's being written to titillate people. And, or, you know, you think of covers where like a woman is in danger or has a knife to her, but her boobs are out. And so, you know, that's kind of the intersection we've been getting where it's like we're going, we're presenting it as a turn on that a woman is being harmed. And um, so I worry that, you know, much like when Evelyn and Haley were discussing consent and erotic horror, I just don't want it to be a thing where it's like the person being maimed or killed is what is erotic, when uh, to me, that would not be the case. So.
3: I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about seeing being in horror right now and seeing so many voices that have not traditionally been allowed into the publishing industry. Um, you know, they're bringing these different perspectives. Um, I think some books or novellas that do this really well, I think Queen of Teeth did that brilliantly, um, Uh, hairspray and switchblades from V. Castro, that was also um, a great example of, of, you know, turning sexual objectification on his head. Um, And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to make this really inclusive, both in terms of sexualities and genders and kinks, um, was just really having the opportunity to get all these different perspectives into one book. So
2: we're really excited about that.
0: Antonia, anything to
2: add? Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I, I agree with everything um, the others have said. And I think that's, without really meaning to, I, objectification was something that I ended up writing about in my novella. Um, because the character is a dancer. The whole thing is a show, you know. Um, It was, it's about a seance initially um, that people have been brought to watch and it it goes differently than expected. And, And so like, I think I was kind of exploring that whole idea of objectification without like wasn't what I set out to do necessarily but that's what it ended up being and um it's it's really tricky sort of boundary to walk because like you know you you want to make it sort of sexy in that way and one of the ways to do that is to have beautiful women involved um but uh yeah I mean I agree with what as Sonora said about well, quite often it's you know just turns into kind of basically like torture porn kind of thing and that's not what we, we we're about really and it's not one of what we want to be reading we want you know you can you can skirt around these issues and explore them um in a more intelligent way I think hopefully and it doesn't mean avoiding it completely, but you know, putting a bit of thought into it. I suppose. I, th-
4: I think that's I think that's really hitting the nail on the head because a lot of the issue here is about nuance. It is about layers, because really, where objectification comes from is, you know, the problem. The problem is not, you know there's a woman who is looking sexy. The problem is looking at a woman who's sexy and seeing a thing instead of a person. So it really just comes down to those different dimensions and acknowledging those dimensions and exploring those dimensions. And I don't think it's as hard as a lot of people act like it is.
3: Yeah, definitely not. I think also beyond just being sexy is, I think one of the problems we've had in the past is that it's not women or the people who own their bodies, attributing the meaning and value that their sexy bodies have in society. Uh, You know, it's someone else placing meaning on that. And I think part of sexual empowerment is taking that back and deciding what that means to you as the owner of your body. Totally.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Like, yeah, definitely agreed. Yeah, I think um, it's, yeah, the question of like, who owns your sexuality is the important thing, really. Like if it's you personally that owns your own sexuality, I don't think there's a problem like with, with, with this hypothetical character, but uh, yeah. Don't know where I was going with that, but let's just move on. Uh, <laughs> um, so I've got a couple of less serious questions now. Um, first of all, this one's very self-indulgent because when I wrote these questions, i just binge watched the entirety of Bridgerton season one. Um, so was, the, the question I've got here is basically, you are tasked with rewriting Bridgerton season one as an erotic horror. So I'm just, so, you know, what supernatural elements would you include? Who would die first? And would you increase the amount of sexual content? or Would you keep it about the same? Is, has anyone seen Bridgerton? Yes. Is it I just watched,
4: I just binged both seasons. Um, I, if I can go first, um, yeah. I would, uh, I would probably mix Bridgerton with like Hellraiser um i think that Concess already has erotic elements to it that's that'd be kind of fun uh i don't know just give eloise a puzzle box or something and let things roll from there for the rest <laughs> of the cast um i mean yeah as far as who would die first i don't know maybe they'd all just be reborn as cenobites or something
0: yeah <laughs> i mean i'd watch it yeah
4: definitely and uh i've I mean at the last part of it is what would you increase the amount of sexual content? And it's like, well, always. always yeah. um, <laughs> regardless. Of, but yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard because it's like, it's such a big cast that I'd probably narrow it down to like the main couples. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say it, it but um, there'd been talk. I forget when about like Regency erotica or something. And I'm just not, I can't remember who was discussing it now, but it was on Twitter. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling now. So, somebody else go?
0: <laughs> Anyone else seen Bridgeton?
3: Yeah. Um, I thought a like a sex demon possession would be fun. Uh, some sort of like demon going around possessing people. Um, and always, I agree, always more sex. And, um, for first character i would thought of the blonde girl who competes with daphne for the prince's affections mm. in the beginning oh, of the season <laughs> yes yes i would kill her off first or possibly <laughs> just have her possessed first um and maybe yeah
0: yeah perfect yeah sounds like fun um yeah Is, have, uh, antonia sonora either of you seen bridgeton
2: Oh, yeah. nah, <laughs> fair enough yeah okay um
0: that's fine it that was a very very self-indulgent question um
4: it's okay that like, i i mean i i'm i was happy to get asked it because like i just i i i really got into it because it honestly was refreshing i think a lot of um i think a lot of tv has been kind of uh hosed down a little bit And movies too. And so, like Bridgerton, I think was a natural place to go with, like, if we're talking about eroticism, um, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, at least. I mean, if you look at romance novels, period, just like they are rife with all of it. Like, it's just, it is. I, I think, I my feeling, I'm rambling again, but my feeling is that, like, we're ready for kind of an erotic horror shakeup of like meshing the two genres together big time.
1: yes i agree (laughs) yeah i'm I'm here
0: for it definitely i
1: agree
3: yeah
0: okay so this is the last question i have written down um this is much in the same vein as the last one you've got to turn one classic slasher movie into erotic horror and which one why and what changes would you make
1: um so i've been trying to think about that one a lot because a lot of the slashers i go to i actually think a lot of them are already kind of erotic even if it's not (laughs) nc-17 erotic and even if it's not always sex positive but the one i keep going back to that i think would be really interesting would be house of a thousand corpses um because i do think in his own strange way rob zombie would handle erotic horror very well i mean he already kind of blends sexuality and horror especially with his use of sex workers and um you know just scenes that allude to sex and sexuality but i'd like to see something more straightforwardly sexual and erotic from him and so either make something new or yeah like i think uh you know i would like to see house of a thousand corpses remade
0: yeah that's an interesting choice i had not even considered that yeah
1: I hope that's considered a slasher I'm like I sometimes think well if
4: they're killing people does that count (laughs) like (laughs) honestly I mean if it's an interesting answer who cares yeah Yeah. that's true
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah because I mean I I watched some slashers but I don't get too deep into the genre admittedly so Mm. that's that's my best answer I can come up with (laughs) sounds
0: great to me yeah
2: yeah um, I, I mean I thought the same as Sonora to be honest I I was thinking like a lot of the classic slashes are quite erotic anyway um, and I kind of miss that in the more modern ones you don't really get that um, very often anymore um, but I just thought as you were speaking Sonora I thought um, wouldn't it be nice I think it'd be nice to see Candyman with the erotic elements kind of brought out a lot more.
3: Yeah. I was I think thinking
2: that's you. just because I, I think he's hot. Yeah. I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you're not wrong. And yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, like having just be a bit more forthright with the sexuality yeah. in that film would be fantastic. Haley, Evelyn, either of you have something?
3: I do, but I want to hear Haley. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um well uh you'd have to make a, a few changes, but I was thinking like a, a lesbian, uh sexual instead of killing nightmare on Elm street yeah. um, <laughs> where she goes into, into people's dreams and stuff and, you know, see what happens with that. I guess. I don't know. I haven't thought, I didn't think it through very hard, but I was just like, yeah, it's, it'd
3: be neat. <laughs> it'd be That's, interesting.
2: That would definitely work. I like
3: that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah actually, I was a nightmare on Elm Street was my answer. Like a a woman who haunts like wet dreams or something. And uh <laughs> if you uh mm-hmm. if you finish with her, you die or
0: <laughs> yeah, like succubus stories. Yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah perfect. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I did also think of Nightmare on Elm Street myself, actually. Um and if anyone's curious about how I would have answered the Bridgerton question. Um, by the way, I would have had basically the uh, the, the woman who, like, I forget her name, it's so the one who basically raises the male lead in the first season. Um, the mom, uh, she's not his mom, she's just oh, like, the Duke's
4: aunt, oh, oh, the Duke's,
0: the Dukes, um, Dukes. The Dukes oh, yeah, is it aunt, yeah. Right? yeah,
4: yeah, um, yeah. um Lady Ambry.
0: That's the one, yeah. Yes. I would have Danbury, her basically, Danbury,
4: Lady Danbury.
0: Dan, yeah, yeah. I would have her basically be like a Dr. Frankenstein type figure <laughs> and have the male lead be a Frankenstein's monster. Um Ooh. that's what I would have done. If anyone's curious. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Hayley, I oh, interrupted I said, you
4: there. No, you're fine. And I just realized I said Eloise earlier, I meant Daphne. There's so many characters I get the yeah. get the names mixed up. Yeah. Um I meant the I meant the the lead who who is, you know, yeah, with the with the Duke in the in the hmm. show. Anyway, um, I was going off what Evelyn said about, uh, or whoever said a succubus kind of story, um kind of just goes back to something with earlier, like um, with us talking about romance, you know, you can have it where the fear is kind of uh, mixed in with just like, how do I want to say this? I mean, with care, I mean, you can get ridiculous as you want, but like a character being like, this is killing me but it's so awesome that i don't care kind of situation with with yeah. erotic car. um i feel like there's a clive barker story like that there are probably more than one actually i just can't remember <laughs> as, but, as soon as um, you
0: said that i thought of um, the last will and testament of jacqueline s by clive okay. barker. yeah so
4: <laughs> yeah so anyway that was that was my tangent
0: yeah yeah that's it yeah that seems totally like a, a very valid avenue to a sport. And I'm sure, like Clive, like, Clive Black has done it more than once, I'm certain of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Um, yeah, so that is all of the questions I had. And does anyone else have anything else they'd like to add in here that would like to say about erotic horror, folktales, or this anthology specifically?
2: Um, I think there should be more. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and <laughs> I hope we'll get loads of stories, and I'm really looking forward to reading them.
1: And yeah, um, the intertwining of romance and horror, be it the same writers or the same, uh, you know, themes or ideas, that's not. New. Um, I remember one of the most interesting things I read in Monster She Wrote was a lot of early women horror authors in the 1800s had started out writing romance and then moved into horror because it was just kind of a natural um, union especially with uh, gothic horror. Yeah
2: definitely there's a lot of sort of sexual undertones to gothic horror and um, I don't know have any of you ever read The Monk? By Matthew yeah. Lewis.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, some people would say that's the first proper horror novel. Um, and there's a lot of eroticism in that. Um, yeah. it's, it's quite a fun read.
0: <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoy that novel. Um, I think that's the novel that convinced me that every novel should have like a bandit interlude. <laughs> like just a section of the book where it's just a, a side story about bandits for some reason yeah it's just yeah, yeah that's fantastic and yeah that's a good point i hadn't even thought about that book at all but um like in the context of this conversation but y- yeah no definitely you can like there there are very heavy erotic elements and or at least undertones um and yeah it's it's, it's very strongly a horror novel about moral corruption and stuff yeah agreed well if we don't have yeah. anything else to say. We'll,
3: we'll, um, actually, also for any writers who are listening who are interested in submitting to Les Mort, um, we have our Kickstarter in June happening. And I don't have the link memorized, but you can go to Ghost Orchid's webpage um, and sign up for notification and support the Kickstarter and small presses doing awesome projects like this.
2: Yes, please do. Yeah, it, we we need as much support as we can get to make sure this all goes ahead, and it's going to be amazing. So it's absolutely yeah. worth it. Yeah, and it's going.
3: It's helping us uh, pay authors pro rates, um, in line with the Horror Writers Association pro rates, um, and you know, supporting awesome artists to do illustrations for the book. Um, so it's a, it's supporting your
2: community as well yeah and i also want to say that although we do have invited authors like hayley and Snora and several others there's at least half of the anthology still to fill so we are looking for you know quite a few stories there are slots available
0: perfect i'll, I'll make sure to put all the relevant links in the episode description uh, for you know for the kickstarter and submission portal and everything um, when that's up okay uh so if that's all then i'd just like to say thank you all for joining me uh, it's It's been a lovely time
4: you're having uh, us
0: And there uh, we have it Yeah, I feel like that was quite a productive discussion. It really helped me sort of um Clarify some of the thoughts I'd previously had about uh, erotic horror, especially in regards to like uh, Its role in the current, you know discourse surrounding sexuality and stuff uh, Yeah Good chat, good chat. Enjoy it a lot. I'm looking forward to reading the anthology. I'm probably going to write something for it myself. Um, obviously, I won't say what it is because it's uh, it's blind submissions for this one. Um, but yeah, so if you're into folklore-inspired stories and you're into erotic horror, I, d- I really do think this is one that cannot be missed. And Well, onto other stuff. Uh, Listening-wise, uh, I'd really recommend uh, Red Handed, episode 247. It's about the uh, 2017 Manchester bombing. It's very, very interesting. Um, I learned a bit about the the event, listen to it. Uh, I, I was already reasonably well acquainted, but there's a couple of things I didn't know. It was, it was, yeah, worthwhile if you're a true crime fan. In terms of reading, um, I just finished The Dawn of Everything by David Graeber and uh, David Wanshaw, which is like... Uh, Basically, Graber's an anthropologist. Wenshaw's an archaeologist, and they talk about like um, the development of civilization essentially, uh, and the way that the currently popular narrative has you know holes in it and relies a lot of, upon a lot of assumptions which probably shouldn't be relied upon. If you enjoyed like sapiens or um, something like that, then I would really recommend that. Uh, it's, a, you know, from, like, the perspective of, like, well, this podcast and sort of the stuff I talk about, it's very interesting because, um, you know, it, it goes into a little bit, like, about, you know, the way social structures have developed over time and things like that. And I think that's, like, the the, the social structures in which we live end up being kind of the the fuel for... A lot of the scary stories and folkloric stories and horror fiction that we tell one another. So yeah, it's a worthwhile read for anybody, I think. It's really, really good. Uh, It's not not too verbose, it's not too hard to get into, it's not too hard to understand. It's very approachable. So yeah, that comes highly recommended. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I have for you this week. So as always, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Terrify Me, with Anthony Frost. The theme music is by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com and used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TerrifyMePod, all one word. For more from me, visit AnthonyFrost.com or follow me on Twitter at AnthonyRFrost. That's Anthony without an H. See you next time.